0: Bum bum ba bum bum bam dum, bum bum ba bum bum ba bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba dum, dum 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 bum 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 dum dum bum dum dum bum dum 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 bum dum 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 you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson.
1: I'm Brad Gullickson.
0: And each month, we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. This episode, we're wrangling the power cosmic with Don Greenwood and Noren Rad from Silver Surfer by Dan Slot and Mike Allred, published by Marvel Comics. And we're applying the Enneagram in Love by Stephanie Baron-Hall to their relationship woes.
1: Yeah, I feel like we're wrangling the power cosmic for the last time.
0: We're going to have to hang up our cosmic lassos. I mean,
1: certainly within the context of Dan Slot and Mike Allridge's run, this is it. And it does feel like a bit of a milestone. You know, we had held off for so long discussing this couple on this podcast because we love them so much. So
0: special to us.
1: Lisa's done a lot of crying this week, folks.
0: I certainly have. My eyes are kind of itchy because of it.
1: That's not a joke. That is 100% truth. And I've been dragging my heels. I think you've been dragging your heels a little bit to get to the podcast table and record this episode. Or we've just been so darn
0: distracted with Top Chef. Oh my goodness, we are obsessed. It's so weird.
1: Like, I have never had an interest in watching this show in the past. You've dabbled in it before. You're more of a baking competition show person.
0: Yes, I had a very uh, short-lived Great British Bake Off baking blog. Yeah, you did. Where I would make the technical bakes, but then I discovered that if you eat only butter and white flour you don't feel so good. No,
1: you don't feel so good. You don't feel so good. But like since the uh, lockdown started back in March, Lisa and I have really delved into competition shows.
0: To the Co- point where we were really scraping the barrel. Yeah,
1: and I mean, you know, we we've, we've watched all the competition shows through Netflix,
0: including the ones with Cake Boss. Uh,
1: well, that's Hulu.
0: Yeah, that's oh, Hulu. Yeah, yeah that's and
1: true. then we got into Hulu, and that's when we started watching Cake Boss stuff. And I don't hate Cake Boss,
0: but uh, it is the—I would say—it's one of the trashier, high drama. It's baking it leans into
1: the reality show aspects of it mm-hmm. less so than uh, you know Top Chef, which is very much. It feels like this is a competition. It's authentic. The chefs are putting their hearts onto the plates.
0: And I think a lot of that comes from the mentorship aspect of the judges, Padma Lakshmi, Tom Colicchio, sometimes it's Graham something, something with (laughs) the glasses, Uh Uh Richard Blaze occasionally. Uh, And over the course of a season, you watch these chefs as they get narrowed down, like they grow their skills. And Mm -hmm. I find that so satisfying as a viewer. It makes me feel like maybe I could cook it something. It
1: highlights the creativity behind every dish. And and so, yes, we've been obsessed. It's really all we've been watching, especially in these last three weeks since we discovered it. We, and we're doing it in a weird way. We started on uh, season 16, I wanna say, the Kentucky season. That's right. And we're working our way
0: backwards. Yeah, where uh, which is really weird Because sometimes they bring back chefs from previous seasons. So, like, there's this guy named Ketsuji who is so interesting. I love to hate him. (laughs) Um, But... Because he comes in as a returning chef and he is a monster. He is mean. He is snippy. But I think that's because
1: he was just butting heads with the personality of John. Because when we see him in the previous season, I instantly take to him. Now, is that because. Yeah, but but is that because I fell in love with him and his cantankerous nature and then to see him a season before or two seasons before as this little more of a meeker character who takes a little more time to grow into his character?
0: I think that he likes to be the biggest bully in the room. And if he feels like somebody else uh, speaks out a little bit more, is pushing people around, he will go after them like a terrier. He's yeah. like, I am at your socks. I don't
1: know, I like. I I am really enjoying the backwards nature of watching Top Chef. It's something that uh, I started doing uh, like 10 years ago with filmographies where I'll pick like John Carpenter and I'll start at the ward and work my way all the way to Dark Star. Uh, for some reason, that reverse progression appeals to me.
0: Yeah, like we're mementoing it.
1: Yeah, we're mementoing Top Chef, and I'm <laughs> loving it. I'm loving me it. Me too.
0: It's particularly exciting for me because I've never been able to get you into a cooking competition show.
1: That is true. Although I'm,
0: af- I'm afraid of you like watching it without me. That's how much uh, you're into it.
1: I did have a moment where you're like, I wanna go to bed, and I was like, I- I've still got another <laughs> hour in me. Don't you dare. And I won't, I won't. But we can't make this the Top Chef episode, we do have to finally say goodbye to Don and (sighs) Norrin, and it's brutal. Uh, A power greater than cosmic, is such a perfect ending to this storyline.
0: Especially on reread.
1: Especially on reread. Now, we do have a couple quibbles here and there uh, because we just love this thing so darn much and we don't want it to end and we want it to end on our terms, but we're going to get to that in a moment. I think we do need to fill listeners in on a couple bits of history if they're not aware of it already. Like... If you don't know what went down with Galactus in the pages of The Ultimates, then suddenly seeing him as this big gold dude in this volume after we had just seen him eat New Haven uh, is a little strange and uh, bizarre. Yeah, yeah. You've definitely heard us sing the praises of writer Al Ewing in the past, most notably regarding The Immortal Hulk. The comic was named Best Ongoing Series in our 2019 Best of episode, and it's possible that that series is going to do a repeat on this year's uh, Best of 2020 episode because the Immortal Hulk is killing it. Uh, But before he revolutionized Bruce Banner and the world he inhabits, Ewing crafted some of the best cosmic comics over in the Ultimate storyline, post-Secret Wars. In those issues, the team consists of Captain Marvel, Black Panther, America Chavez, the Blue Marvel, as well as a few others, and they forced Galactus back into his incubation chamber, hoping to destroy the world devourer once and for all. Instead of that happening, though, Galactus emerged as the life bringer, the golden god we see in the final volume of the Surfer series with Alred and Slot.
0: I love how this fits into the Enneagram.
1: Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, hmm, that's interesting. Like, I don't know exactly how you're gonna do it. I'm, i I look, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Uh, now, what's the deal with the Lifebringer? Uh, he's actually a lot like the Silver Surfer. He's trying to make amends for all the horrendous genocide he committed in his previous life, his mission, which, flew into direct conflict with other cosmic entities afraid of change, was to restore or seed new life wherever possible. What's most brilliant about Ewing's run on the Ultimates is that it brought serious character to a god-being who previously usually acted more like a catalyst than a flesh-and-blood creature. In the Ultimates, As the Lifebringer, I fell in love with Galactus and it brings me great joy to revisit him briefly in this series. Sadly, the Lifebringer would only last two years in Marvel Comics. Not sure as many people liked my yellow teddy bear version as much as the purple people eater icon. With the Infinity Countdown event in 2018, Galactus reverted back to his old hungry self thanks to Ultron, the Silver Surfer, and an Infinity Stone Gambit. Oh well, it was good while it lasted, and I highly encourage folks to seek out Ewing's ultimate's run. But the cosmic classics don't stop there. We get another big bad Silver Surfer villain in this volume, Mephisto. Now, technically a doppelganger version of him did appear in the previous Silver Surfer trade paperback when those deep sea creatures that could mimic your worst fears attacked San Francisco, One of those fishy beasts turned into Mephisto and got punched by Spider-Man in the face. And Peter was all like, why did that feel so good? The reader, of course, knows why. Because Mephisto is the jerkwad responsible for erasing his marriage with Mary Jane, which we talked about in our Spider-Man and Mary Jane episode, focusing on the one more day storyline. P.S. That's episode 27, folks. Mephisto like Thanos, Dr. Doom and Galactus has always been one of my favorites. You know, like I've really enjoyed the most recent Dr. Doom comic from Christopher Cantwell and Salvador Lorca that's being published today. And I feel like those two would do a really interesting Mephisto solo series. He's a character who deserves a solo series.
0: The only way I would read a Mephisto solo series is if it surrounds the incident of one more day Mm. because I already have it planned out in my (laughs) head how I would address that in Spider-Man today. Uh-huh. And I think it would be really cool from Mephisto's perspective. So what
1: you're saying is too bad, Christopher Cantwell. It's my job. I, I mean, got this.
0: I, I, he should probably give me a ring-a-ding, get slide into my DMs because <laughs> I've got ideas.
1: Well, you know, Mephisto began his Marvel Comics life in the pages of Silver Surfer, issue number three from 1968, meaning he's a creation of Stan Lee and artist John Buscema, Obviously, he's loosely inspired by the character of Mephistopheles. Hey, I said that right this time. You did, nailed it. (laughs) From the legend of Faust. Uh, Since his debut, he's gone on to butt heads with all manner of Marvel superheroes like the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, Thor, Doctor Strange, and yeah, Spider-Man. But for me, he's always been a proper foil for the Silver Surfer. And you know what? This is actually his third appearance in Comic Book Couples Counseling because he makes a big show in the Infinity Gauntlet, which is totally rad, uh, which we covered during our Thanos and Death series of episodes. I'm not sure if he'll ever come back into comic book couples counseling, but that's the great thing about Mephisto is you never know where he's going to appear. He's
0: he's popping up when you least expect it. That's
1: right. Uh, You know who's popping up when you least expect it is the Grand Master. What a great segue, Lisa. Oh,
0: you're welcome. Uh,
1: The Grand Master, another classic cosmic foe. Uh, He cameos for a moment. Uh, That's how cameos work in this Silver Surfer run. Uh, He's a guy made oh so popular recently thanks to the portrayal of Jeff. Goldblum in the film Thor Ragnarok. By the way, Lisa just scored a really rad Marvel Legends action figure of Goldblum's grandmaster. What a time to be alive!
0: The Jeff Goldblum action figure I really want is him as Mac from Earth Girls Are Easy.
1: <laughs> I don't. Actually,
0: I want two one with no, the fur and one without fur.
1: Oh, I don't want you to have either of those figures, <laughs> no matter the variant. No Earth Girls of Easy action figures for you. Uh, now, <laughs> damn it, Lisa. Don't bring that into the podcast.
0: The <laughs> I grand, love that
1: movie. The Grandmaster made his first appearance in Avengers number 69. Up to up. in October of 1969. 69, 69 dudes! uh, He's one of the elders of the universe alongside the Collector, Ego, the Living Planet, the Champion of the Universe, and a bunch of other crazy cats. These guys were some of the first entities born out of the Big Bang, which we also get to see in this final slot and Alred Silver Surfer story. Uh, But as we see here, um, the Grand Master is a gambling addict. His greatest pleasure in life is to pit two individuals against each other in a quote-unquote game of chance. While I've adored characters like Galactus and Mephisto for as long as I can remember, I've never been a big fan of the Grand Master until... Jeff Goldblum, uh, the delicious, gorgeous Jeff Goldblum, put his spin on him. Uh, I brought a little of my Thor Ragnarok love to reading this comic this time around, and I had more fun with him thanks to Thor Ragnarok and Jeff Goldblum, but he's still not, you know, Mephisto or Galactus, right? Uh, but Lisa, before we get into the rest of the show, let's dig into our love guru, Stephanie Baron Hall. How is her book The Enneagram in Love going to work for us in this final week talking about Nora and Don?
0: <sighs> final week. That makes me sad. Yeah. We're using her book, The Enneagram in Love, a roadmap for building and strengthening romantic relationships to explore the time and space of a power greater than cosmic, shared by an astronomer who once went astray and a homebody who went exploring. The Enneagram is a personality system that characterizes people by their core motivations. The underlying sense of yearning that, when unchecked, drives unconscious behavior. With the help of Stephanie Baron Hall in episodes 50 through 53, Brad and I have gotten to know the ins and outs of Don and Norn's Enneagram types, as well as our own. I feel like Norn Rad, burdened with the guilt of being a Herald of Galactus, started as a one improver, mm-hmm. but with the help of Don Greenwood, who is a two helper... I think he has processed his sins of the past and has been restored to the seven enthusiasts that he once was on Zen Law.
1: I definitely feel that way by the end of this graphic novel. I know you were starting to lean uh, into that shift last episode with the last two trade paperbacks, but here's where I really saw
0: it. Absolutely. I think from the beginning, and I think- Oh, I'm gonna get into it. Let me let me dive back okay, into sorry, this. Okay, sorry,
1: sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt.
0: <laughs> now we're getting down to the nitty gritty. How compatible are Noran and Dawn on the enneagram level? The last part of Sbh's book is entitled "The Interplay," and it goes through all possible enneagram combinations and outlines how they function as a couple. What are their strengths? And what are the areas that will need special attention? I did a little flipperoo just (laughs) to see if any of those combos are like, run, run away. (laughs) But SBH seems to think that every couple has potential. But some of these sections are a little bit longer than others, threes and fives, there seems to be a lot going on there. Mm. So Brad. Mm. Do you wanna hear what SBH has to say about us?
1: Uh, Oh, uh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. That's why we're here.
0: Yeah. Well, I am a four, an individualist, and Brad, like the latter Norin Rad. I'm the enthusiast. That's right. I'm just gonna read right out of the book. Fours and sevens are imaginative idealists. Mm. They tend to be quite colorful, expressive, Mm. and curious, and want to live life to its fullest. I like all that. I, I know, I agree. We're, f- we're fabulous. Their penchant for the strange, interesting, and whimsical draws them together, and they often have a magnetic pull towards each other. Okay. They like to keep things interesting. Okay. Maybe by starting podcasts? Yeah. Reading whimsical comic books like uh-huh. Silver Surfer?
1: Uh-huh.
0: A seven can help a four see all the good, joy, and wonder in the world. The four tends to be mourning what is missing, but the seven <laughs> balances the balances them by celebrating all the excitement that is already around them in the world. Way
1: to go, Seven.
0: Yeah, thanks sweetheart. The Sevens help the four find confidence in themselves because the Seven is truly passionate about all the awesome qualities of the people (laughs) around them. This is something that I do tell my girlfriends who have not settled down yet. I'm like, find a nerd.
1: Find a Seven.
0: Yeah, find a Seven because enthusiasts, nerds, They put money into the thing they care about. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Let's get down to brass tacks. The four, on the other hand, that's me, helps the seven stay grounded and create a safe space, like a podcast perhaps, for the seven to experience emotions. Are you ex- experiencing emotions right now? I'm
1: definitely experiencing emotions. I like the idea of you grounding me. You certainly remind me of things like, uh, we gotta get out of this apartment, Brad. Uh, we need our new home. We need a home. <laughs> we need to own property. Okay, right. Lisa, tracks I'm working land. on it. tracks of land,
0: tracks of land. Sevens don't lack feelings. They just don't often slow down long enough to process them. And they only <laughs> share them with a few safe people. I mean, like that's our, a
1: thousand percent uh, true. Yeah,
0: yeah. The force willingness to see the dark places can anchor the seven and welcome them to a fuller expression of life. I do, can't. I can also really bum you out though sometimes.
1: I, I feel like I, this book sees me, sees oh, really? us. I really do feel... Uh, a connection with the terminology and with the analysis that is going on with our types.
0: Yay, I love that. A four and a seven can overwhelm each other at times. The four can feel like the seven's constant motion is too much. That's true. When we were first dating, I had to break it to you that I could only do two stops a day. Like, we could go to Target... Yeah. And we could go to I a remember. bookstore, uh-huh. but we can't go to Target and a bookstore and, and then another, another Target, bookstore and then another, another Target. Target.
1: And when you say Target, what you're actually saying is Toys R Us because yeah. those were still around in our early dating days. And I drag you all over Northern Virginia trying to find that perfect G.I. Joe figure.
0: Yeah, and they can feel dismissed and abandoned by the Seven's desire to do anything besides sit in emotional pain. Oh, man. Come sit sit, sit in my pain with me.
1: You do like to sit in your pain.
0: <laughs> the Seven can feel trapped by the Four's desire for emotional connection, mm. And overwhelmed by the four's need to express everything fully in the Mm. moment.
1: I mean, that's something that we worked out early on in our dating and early on in our marriage, but that's also true.
0: Yeah. This pairing is fantastic in many ways, but when either partner is unhealthy, they can trigger one another's worst fears. Mm. I'm like, stay home with me so we can be sad together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Strengths. A four-seven relationship is never dry or stagnant. They are constantly intrigued and fascinated by each other. That's definitely true. And that's one of the many reasons this works. Areas to work on. Are you ready? This is what we're working on.
1: You mean we haven't hit perfection yet?
0: I'm, I believe in a growth mindset. Uh, so
1: do I. So do I. Okay, it's, come on.
0: Here we go. It's very important that both sevens and fours feel validated in their emotional expression and the way they show up in the relationship.
1: Sure. Agree with that. But don't you think that's how everybody feels? They, I don't they, know.
0: Maybe not. We don't know.
1: Okay. All right.
0: If the four tries to bring the seven back to earth or the seven tries to cheer up the four when they're not ready, the results can be disastrous for their connection. Mm-hmm. Validating each other will help.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
0: when I'm having the blues. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is all. This is all accurate.
0: <laughs> is it making you self-conscious? Uh
1: I mean no, no. I uh, like to me when I start to feel this scene by a self-help book, I start to wonder if it's confirmation bias of some kind or
0: some kind of like cold reading situation. E-
1: exactly, exactly. I
0: wonder about that too, which is why I did flip through to see okay, are the sections actually all of that all that mm-hmm. different? But I think by pre-sorting us into uh those core motivations that differentiate us, I think that, you know, like they're not gonna be like, both fours and sevens are practical because we've already said by going through the previous steps, we're not practical.
1: Right, and if you go back to previous episodes where I don't feel as connected to the self-help gurus, mm-hmm. um, I, it's easy for me to dismiss their point of view. Yeah, And yeah. I'm just feeling a real, good connection here with Stephanie Baron Hall's analysis.
0: Me too. I feel more confident knowing what my Enneagram is and that I can apply it to myself, even if it is imaginary or sure. confirmation bias or whatever. I like it. Now that we see that this applies to us, let's see if it applies to Noren and Don.
1: And that's where things get a little tricky, don't they?
0: Especially since I've changed my point of view on what his hmm. Enneagram currently is. So we're going with two and seven. Okay, so Dawn's the two, Norn's the seven. Twos and sevens are fun-loving, energetic, and sociable, and both tend to look on the bright side of life. They share an open-hearted, often whimsical view of the world with light and loving spirits. Hmm. They, she used the word whimsical with us. <laughs> Not every couple can be whimsical. Uh, maybe it's the seven-ness. Maybe they're just always bringing whimsy. These traits draw them to each other, and there can be a great deal of excitement and fun in this relationship. The seven offers the two excitement about life and a push to dream bigger, think about possibilities, and look toward the future. Mm. There's a scene that really applies to this when she's on top of the lighthouse, Mm -hmm. and he's like, you never thought to get into a boat? Mm. The two is skilled at determining what needs to be done right in front of them and taking action in the present, but they aren't always good at looking to the future. So like when Galactus the Lifebringer comes up to you and is like, hey, these two doohickeys are way too close together in space. She's the one who goes like, let's get this done. Let's just pull them apart. The seven helps the two go after their dreams and connect with the potential inside of them. The two helps the seven see how their actions affect others and gently nudges them to grow in compassion for others, which we've seen over the course of this Uh, entire series.
1: This is feeling pretty accurate.
0: Sevens are open-hearted and can be sensitive, but they don't always delve into more difficult emotional spaces. A two's care can help the seven dig deeper and share more emotionally, which Alicia Masters can even see. (laughs) There is also a great deal of balance in this pair when it comes to self-care. Sevens are good at looking out for themselves, but aren't always aware that they are running themselves into the ground by jumping from one thing to the next. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Alternatively... Twos are good at taking care of others, but aren't always aware that they are wearing themselves out by constantly putting the needs of others before their own. Which
1: puts Dawn into some downward spirals at the end of the second trade paperback and at the end of um, the Citizen of Earth trade paperback after the confrontation with her mom.
0: Absolutely. These types can remind each other to take care of themselves in different ways. Sevens can sometimes feel overwhelmed by the helpfulness and the emotional needs of twos. Or maybe how many times they have to use the facilities. (laughs) Humans are always excreting things. It's disgusting.
1: (laughs) We're more than our farts.
0: (laughs) They tend to reject being trapped or tied down with our farts. It doesn't say with our farts. (laughs) Especially if they aren't sure about the relationship yet. This can cause the two to fear rejection, and they may dig in and try to be more helpful. Mm. This dynamic can spell trouble for the relationship unless they take time to sit and discuss their differing relational patterns. Mm. So here are their strengths. Both two and seven love to have fun and be with people, so this can be a great pair with a wide social net, perhaps a social net that stretches the cosmos. Areas to work on. Conflict can be really challenging for this pair. The two and the seven typically both try to stay positive, which can lead to more avoidance of trouble in the relationship.
1: Like, Surfer has more moments of, well...
0: I'm thinking of when they were in that convoy on the way to new new haven uh-huh. yeah when they had a conflict they just completely isolated each other yes. instead of confronting those emotions they put the needs of the entire convoy be- before the needs of their relationship for sure a focus on effective communication will help them both find the love acceptance and loyalty that they truly desire
1: okay i'm going to try to keep all of that in mind as we move into the discussion of this particular storyline. But again, I'm feeling like Norrin and Don are pretty seen by Stephanie Baron Hall.
0: I know, I, I have more supports than my interjections. Oh, I'm sure you do. <laughs> and so uh, they will unfold hopefully okay. as our okay. conversation cool. commences. If you can't tell, I have really enjoyed rereading this beloved run of comics through the lens of the Enneagram. This volume in particular gets me really introspective about our relationship in a way that really moves and challenges me.
1: Yeah, Lisa's, like we said, been doing a lot of crying and a lot of uh, confronting our mortality as a couple.
0: Spoiler alert, we're gonna die one day. Even issues that I used to think of as one-offs or bottle episodes, I find thematic elements that explore the meaning and sacredness of being a true partnership with another person. Yeah, definitely.
1: On the reread, there are some issues that I I wasn't in love with on the first go-round, but now totally fit into the larger narrative.
0: I do think there is one more nodal event that changes Norrin's core motivation. Uh So I'll be sure to want to look out for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we also wanna see if we notice any of the interplays play out the way that SBH outlined in the final part of her book. Yeah, definitely. Okay, we're gonna get into it, you guys.
1: But first, Lisa, it's time for that theme song that we don't have. Words of affirmation. Na 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 na
0: na 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 affirmations.
1: This week we received the most precious five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Really? I mean, it got me teary reading it.
0: Oh, later, me, sweetheart. So
1: it comes from to explain later. Five stars. The title is psychology, philosophy, and superheroes. And this is what they say. It's one thing for a comic book fan to talk about the characters they like because they just look cool. It is another thing for them to talk about them because of select story arcs and how they impact yourself. It is something special and unique entirely to take these larger-than-life stories that you love and find ways to connect them to discussions overall about psychology and personal philosophies and studies, or even other people, and more importantly, make the discussion entertaining. Brad and Lisa are an absolute joy to listen to as they find new ways to draw parallels between fictional comic book couples and self-help counseling books and studies. I'm only just starting to dive in and I can't wait to swim through the rest be it their recent episodes on Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood, comparing them to different Enneagrams, or their Swamp Thing and Abigail Arcane episodes, comparing them to the experience and personal philosophy of Rapper Common. You, as a listener, will start to hear things that you feel can be applied to yourself, be surprised by the connections they were able to find to strengthen their comparisons, and add a level of depth you may not have found before to these characters. T-L-D-R, even if you're not into comics, I would recommend this show. P.S., Marlene and Moon Knight would be a good relationship to explore. Uh, To explain later, after such a loving review, we'll have to cover Moon Knight and Marlene.
0: I may just very well be putty in your hands.
1: Uh, Yeah, so thank you so much for leaving such a lovely and thoughtful review. Talk
0: about feeling seen. That's exactly what... We want people to get out of this podcast. And
1: when we talk about words of affirmation, I mean, I feel affirmed. Thank you. I feel validated. Thank you. And that's a good place to be as we go into this incredibly tragic and sad ending, uh, which is uplifting, but also very, very emotionally taxing. We need these words of affirmation.
0: That's right. Let's ride that wave, that love wave.
1: Yeah. So yes, we're discussing the final chapter in Dan Slott and Mike Allred's epic Silver Surfer romance, A Power Greater Than Cosmic, which covers issues seven through 14 of volume eight of the main Silver Surfer series. Allred's art is colored by Laura Allred and the lettering is done by Joe Sabino. Here's the plot synopsis. Can I read it? (laughs) I mean, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, here we go. The Surfer and Dawn are back out in space and back in trouble, <laughs> but at the universe's slickest space casino, Norian Rad is going all in, and the stakes have never been this cosmic. When our heroes are accidentally swallowed by Jumbonox the Giganormous, their only hope is a society of sentient macro microorganisms, <laughs> who, by no fault of their own, might just be the deadliest disease in the universe and on the hauntingly beautiful world of Incandesha, the spacefaring couple might completely lose themselves. But will they finally be torn apart by the vengeful Warrior Zero, or a certain former master? <laughs> because there's only one reason the Silver Surfer would ever serve Galactus again. If the universe itself hung in the balance, the lives of Norin and Don will never be the same.
1: After working our way through five trade paperbacks of this run, I gotta hand it to the people writing the copy on these books. Yeah. These are good summaries.
0: So fun. I wish that was my job. I would love to write oh. copy on the back of Marvel comic books.
1: For sure, ditto, I, I think, agree.
0: I think mostly so I could read the, all those comics.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's something that we've been talking about a lot lately is finding the time to read comics. Yeah. So the goal is to get a job where you're paid to read comics.
0: Ah, uh, the dream. That's
1: the dream.
0: I think one thing that the summary on the back of this book doesn't highlight is the conditions in which Don Greenwood left earth this last time. That's
1: also what I wanted to mention briefly is the, the last time we saw her before this issue, she fled earth because she couldn't deal with that encounter with her mom, where the last image she saw of her mom as she bled out was the mom who had her blood type, who could step in and save her life Refused to do so. And thankfully, Surfer could get Eve. And that's why Don is alive still. Um, but the horror of watching mom fade away. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard for me to look at. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine to actually live that emotion.
0: Yeah. And then she left her sister and her dad without saying goodbye. She literally was like, Surfer, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here right now.
1: Yeah, and Surfer obliges. And how does the Surfer start to, you know, uh, not necessarily heal that wound, but slap a Band-Aid on that wound? Mm -hmm. He takes her to cool places in the cosmos. And those are places like Puppy Bunny Kitten Planet and, you know, the Cotton Candy Tree Forest and the Ball Pit of the Clack Clacks. Of course, Dawn while she's having fun, starts to realize that maybe the surfer, Norrin is taking her to the most safe and relaxing places in the, uh, in the cosmos, and not necessarily the coolest or most exciting.
0: Toomey and surfer were conspiring against her, which, of course, leaves her feeling betrayed, mm. like her two companions, mm-hmm. not letting her in on this idea that, like, she needs to be safe above all other things. And when she finally calls them on it, she's like, you promised to take me anywhere and everywhere. And Surfer's like, all I've been doing is taking you places where you're getting hurt. And he's thinking most specifically about this incident with her mother. And to me, it makes me think about like, what's more important? Are you keeping your partner safe? Or are you making your partner's dreams come true? Well,
1: yes. I also think that the surfer is still missing the point of what went wrong Mm -hmm. with the mom situation, which is the consent issue. Like, he thought he knew what he was doing. He was going to surprise her. Oh no, this is not something I should surprise a a person on. I shouldn't just rip their tonsils out and I shouldn't just reveal where mom is as like a ta-da, present and Surfer needs to be communicating with Dawn in where they're going and why they're going there. So he's still holding something back when he's taking her to Puppy Bunny Kitten Planet, right? Yeah. You know, th- that's, that's the issue, it's communication.
0: I also think that it, he's not the tour guide anymore. Mm. Like anywhere and everywhere includes places he does not know.
1: Yeah. And that's the exciting thing for Don is that they are discovering things together. Whereas he knew about Puppy Bunny Kitten Planet.
0: Yeah. But there's a major theme that's coming up in this particular issue of the idea of risk mm. and what amount of risk are you willing to take? So, anywhere and everywhere is her consenting to be in danger and uh we watch this kind of now this consent issue of she like i like, want this i i want this i want to be in danger and then we see this kind of result in what the ghostly man in the background is saying like this is the this is the beginning of an incident that leads to what this person this mystery man thinks of as their ultimate disaster yeah
1: the mystery man is depicted uh, as they're leaving the ball pit of the Clack Clacks, watching them from afar, and he's not quite solid, and he has a little bit of a scrawly chin. You don't really recognize the design, um, but he doesn't look attached to this reality. And speaking of not being attached to this reality, they go to the Casino Cosmico, which exists between dimensions, and Norrin rearranges Don's ladybug bikini into a cocktail dress.
0: Which I love. Uh, this is one of my favorite Dawn looks.
1: I mean, that would be a fun one to cosplay, but tricky considering that the dots on this dress sort of float around in a very Kirby Crackle method. Yes. Uh, now, who do they see when they get to this casino first? Uh, they see Mephisto. And what I love about this Mephisto scene, it's its a little bit of a jokey scene. It doesn't really have much to do with anything, uh, but we see him doing this devil went down to Georgia playing a golden fiddle. Hey, if and talking to this alien saying like, if you beat me, Uh, as a fiddler, you can get this golden fiddle. And Mephisto not realizing that this alien has many, many (laughs) arms and he destroys Mephisto in this casino. And there's this one little image of Mephisto looking so crestfallen, so sad that he's been defeated on this planet. And he leaves with his tail tucked between his legs.
0: which delights surfer
1: Delights surfer and delights me because again going back to one more day he's like the ultimate villain who screwed over one of my favorite couples peter parker and mary jane yeah and i I never want to see him win
0: yeah, same. I I like the idea of wherever Surfer goes, he's always like, ugh, that guy. Yeah. Like he has an enemy any room he walks into.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I also get the sense that Dan Slott takes any opportunity to drag on Mephisto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I appreciate that about him as well. And I also like how this moment puts a little bit of a pep in their step and Don and Norrin go off into the casino and have a killer winning streak. Uh, Noren actually uh, converts his body from the Silver Surfer into the Gold Surfer at one point. That
0: reveal is so hilarious. And
1: that's when the Grand Master, the true villain of this issue, sorry Mephisto, steps out of the shadows and challenges them to a game of chance, which does not go too well.
0: They've already had a couple of big losses. First, I can't imagine, Silver Surfer was so confident that he bet Toomey and lost. Oh, man. So now he's in this panic trying to win back Toomey.
1: Yeah, and Toomey doesn't like having his molecules rearranged. I can't imagine how he feels being turned into a bargaining chip.
0: How many times has Surfer been like, that's not merely a board, that's an extension of me? Yeah. It's me going like, yeah, I'll bet my left arm. Yeah, don't
1: do that. Don't bet your left arm.
0: I need it for stuff. Ultimately, what it comes down to is the Grand Master goes like, okay, you're confident in the cards that you have, bet your companion. And Surfer hmm. is like, I don't know about that, but Don is like, this is Toomey we're talking about. Yeah, I'm I, i I'm willing to take this risk for Toomey.
1: And Toomey's like, hey, you've already put me on the board, uh, go ahead and put Don on the board.
0: <laughs> and Silver Surfer goes, okay, I'll meet that if you're willing to, I don't know poker terms, but like, if you're willing to give up or risk, your ability to play games.
1: Yeah, it's a bluff and it's too much of a risk for the Grand Master because uh, that's everything to him. So he folds.
0: So that's what's referred to as the infinite all in. I'm willing to give up everything that matters to me to live life fully and to experience everything that life has to offer. And from this point on in this volume, we watch Don and Norrin make this bet again and again and again. And our mysterious watcher goes like, this is a terrible lesson that you've learned and it's a lesson that you're going to ultimately have to pay for.
1: Yeah, and so that's when the reader starting to go like, oh, there's this is not going to end happily ever after. There, A dread is entered into this story.
0: And it begs the question for us like, are you willing to do the infinite all in? Are you willing to risk it all to win life fully? Like what's fair to yourself? What's fair to your partner, your family? Mm. Like already Dawn has left her her planet again. And every time she does that, there is this risk of never going home again. Is that fair to Eve? Is that fair to Reg Greenwood?
1: I don't necessarily want to answer that question right now. I think we need to save that to the very last issue. Uh, this story goes into the Jonah story, the Jonah issue with Jumbo uh, Jumbonox the Giganormous, where Don and Norrin are swallowed whole by this space whale. And while they're inside, they're attacked by its like antibodies yeah. and a virus as well. And they're sentient and... Dawn, to like protect herself from this deadly virus, starts telling them a tale about Tindley Hartlesnop, the tiny herald from Brundlebus 3. And while this is going on as a reader, I'm trying to figure out if this story is real or not. Is this a fabrication of Dawn's? Did this actually happen? And when I got done with this issue the first time, I thought it was a tall tale. And that's the title of this issue, Tall Tales. And that 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 Tindley, uh, Tiny Harold, didn't actually exist. However, on the reread, I do believe these adventures happened. I do believe that this tall tale is a real tale.
0: Me too. I think that it's kind of like the uh, issue when Don got, uh, sucked into the darkness.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, with the lighthouse.
0: And it just gives, it It implies that Silver Surfer and Dawn have had so many adventures, we, have, we couldn't possibly know all of them and witness all of them as a reader, which I love. Yes. Because that means that there is opportunity yes. to tuck back into this timeline and find more adventures. So this is
1: what I was thinking on this reread, because I love these characters so much. And- Uh, I don't want to, I mean, we all know what happens at the end of this story, right? Like the dawn we love ceases to be. Yeah. Um, You could do a Hellboy like comic, meaning Mike Mignola uh, took Hellboy all the way to hell and ended his story but he doesn't want to kill the franchise of Hellboy. And so he has these BPRD and Hellboy stories and he goes back in time and tells these lost tales from 1953 or whatever. And you could, if you wanted to, revisit Noren and Don in one of these untold adventures. And uh, uh, Mr. Allred and Mr. Slot, uh, if you're listening, please do that. Just give us like a free comic book day, a little one shot. I'd like to be with these people again someday through your lens.
0: Of course, I'm in love with the idea of Slot and Allred approaching Don and Lauren again, but I also love the idea that. Now it's open for any writer and any artist yes, to go like, yes. I want to tell my Don and Noren story. Well,
1: again, going by the Mignola Hellboy method, that's what happens, right? You know, Mignola, uh, he's always credited as a, a plotter or a co-scriptor or whatever. But a lot of tales, are it's somebody else mm-hmm. writing the, those adventures. It's somebody else drawing those adventures. There's opportunity here for other creators to tell these stories characters' stories, and I want that to happen as well. But I also want Allred and Slot to go back someday. I know Tom Brevoort, the editor, is like, that's the magic of this story. You can never go home again. You can never go home again, and I agree with you. You'd just ruin it if you were to, like, continue past the final issue narratively. But you could go back and tell one of these lost tales. That's all I'm saying.
0: Of course, like the best tall tales, this is ultimately a morality tale. Yeah. And one of the adventures that they go on is... The Lord of Nightmares had a scuffle with Null Set, and Null Set like just killed a swath of his dream world, uh. and he's like, "I need help repopulating my realm." And so Don immediately goes like, "Well, I have a bunch of people in my dreams, my family, everybody back in Anchor Bay," and so she offers them up. And it, it's a ton of people, but still not enough. And then Surfer tries to go back to Zen Law, but Zen Law even, they're like, we've even turned our backs on you in your dreams. There, there's he, he doesn't have access to the his dream people of Zen Law. But then Tindley goes like, well, there's everyone from Brundle Bus 3. And when his dreams come forth, all of the teeny weeny, smaller than microscopic people from Bundle Bus 3 are what we would call like full size. They're just as tall as Norrin and Dawn. And Norrin feels this wave of gratitude to see all of the lives of Brundle Bus 3 in proper scale. Yeah,
1: people that he saved. What I also like about this story is it continues the idea of how every individual is a creator. Mm -hmm. And our dreams, our imagination, they have power and weight and value. And I think this story is such a perfect companion to the Secret Wars issue Mm -hmm. where they meet Glorian and have to rebuild a universe.
0: I will never not appreciate the message that it's your perspective, it's your ideas, it's your passion that shapes your world. Yeah. Also, uh, there's one more little nugget of wisdom (laughs) from this, what I initially considered kind of a cute throwaway yeah, issue. this is what we
1: were talking about earlier, right? Like, this is such a crucial comic. It's not filler in any way.
0: That's right. And so as they're pulling away, um, Silver Surfer notes that J- Jumbo knocks the giganormous, from the distance of space doesn't seem all, of, all that big at all. He just becomes a tiny speck, just yeah. like everyone else. And I think that that is this reminder that, like whatever battle you're facing, it's every bit as important as every other battle in this universe. Mm -hmm. What you're doing in your life depending, it can seem as tiny as Brundle Bus 3 or it can feel as huge as Jumbo Knox. but from the perspective of the universe, It's all equally important.
1: Yeah, it's all about girth, not length, guys.
0: (laughs) And also equally unimportant. How dare you make a dick joke while I'm summarizing the beauty of this issue?
1: I'm Brad. Yeah, you are. But now we got to get to the issue number nine uh, called Shadows in the City of Light, where I have the most complicated emotions around.
0: Same. We're now on Incandesa, a planet... Populated entirely by holograms,
1: sentient holograms.
0: That's right. So they land on this planet. It's gorgeous, it's clean, but they're a little weird when Dawn asks to use the facilities.
1: Yep, 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 yep.
0: And so when she returns from using the facilities, they get this beautiful tour of this planet. Uh, they get to go to a ball and they have their first dance, and it's lovely. But then when they're at the zoo, they discover none of these animals are actually alive. And their tour guide goes like, uh, oh, Don, I think you would understand. You're a hologram. You've been a hologram for hours. What? Exactly. And then we get to see Surfer go full on rage mode. And he's insisting on finding Don the real Dawn.
1: Yeah, cuz when she went to the facilities, that's when they made this hologram Don and they are going to eradicate, destroy, transform her body into compost.
0: And the tour guide is like in our culture it's this the hollow form that is sacred and your meat form it gets mulched. And uh so Don in panic mode takes to me, goes and finds their I guess composting center to retrieve the body and luckily there's something wrong with the machine and so she hasn't quite been mulched yet. Oh god. And here we meet the grease monkeys who are the 1% of Incandesa that stayed behind in order to maintain the machine. And to me the idea of these grease monkeys is very complicated because because they're still in meat form, uh-huh. they're not respected by the hollow forms of yeah, incandescent They're slaves. They're slaves. And they're going to be terribly inbred several generations down the line. So this is clearly not a sustainable system of life. So finally, they find Don's body. Uh, Silver Surfer returns to, like he is able to shake off the rage. He's no longer Asking people to bow down before his power. <laughs> and he's confronted with now there are two Dons yeah. that are equally alive and equally valid yeah. the meat form Don and the hollow form yeah. Don.
1: Yeah, this is where things get very uncomfortable for me. Okay. So uh, obviously, meat Don, OG Don, is going to continue to live with the surfer and travel with and
0: the travel. surfer. And travel.
1: But hollow Don cannot leave the machine. She cannot leave the planet. So she is trapped here.
0: Holodon
1: takes this pretty easily. And I'm a little frustrated that there isn't uh, just a tiny more strife because I imagine being the Holodon. Holodon is a sentient creature, Mm -hmm. is alive given the rules of this world. And she is very conveniently okay with letting Meet Dawn and Surfer go away, despite her own true love feelings for Norrin.
0: Here's how I kind of make it work for myself. Now, like, Hollow Dawn, from her perspective, is now never going to die. She is now eternal, and I think being eternal really kills your, like, sense of urgency.
1: I mean, yeah, okay, yes, I could see her arriving to that idea, but she just discovered that she's a hologram and she was clearly shook by that knowledge.
0: Right, right. I'm not, I'm saying that's the way I make it work. It doesn't make me, I, it doesn't mean that, like I'm thrilled with the idea okay, okay. of Hollow Dawn.
1: Also, you know, ultimately, this issue is uh, another morality story. It's about how these people went from planet to planet destroying their Earths. And this was the solution to their own. Uh, villainous consumptions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a real like captain of planet morality <laughs> yeah. environmental story, which is important. I think that's important. I think it's also like another restatement of the thesis. Like your ideas are alive mm. and they deserve to live and yeah, thrive. Yeah, that's
1: true. That's true. Yeah, okay. I, I hadn't thought about that, but I, I, I can see that for sure.
0: There is another important plot point yeah. that... Hollow Dawn just kind of shrugs off. Uh-huh. She's seen the mysterious stranger guy not meet Dawn. Yeah, And yeah. so, uh, but she does an extremely un like thing where she's like, oh, I saw this guy. It's probably important... But they're so far away (laughs) now. So I guess and she goes like, I guess it's just their problem. Well,
1: and it most certainly is. There is one other thing that happens at the end of this issue that's pretty important, Lisa. Yes. Don says I love you to the surfer. The meat Don says I love you to the surfer.
0: It's so sweet. So Don had never seen Norrin go into full Harold mode where he has a maw full of mm. Kirby crackle and he's insisting that beings bow down to his power <laughs> and, and he doesn't like that he, he went to that, that place and, and he tells her like, you understand what made me go to that dark place I never wanted to return to and she says, yes and I love you too, just don't do it again. Um, but like we've seen Norrin say, I love you to Dawn. It actually happened when she had offered herself up as a herald of Galactus. Right. And the reason he goes, like, you can't do this, you can't make this sacrifice because I love you. And this is her answering him in that moment. Like, I like I am now connected to your being to such a degree that, like, the loss of me is as great as the loss of a planet.
1: You pointing that out off mic a couple days ago really, like, changed my perspective on this story because in my head, she had already said, I love you in a passionate way, but that has not actually occurred.
0: It's, they've said it again and again through their actions, but this book... Is for a romance book is pretty buttoned up. Like we never see them. Like we've seen in every other couple we've seen, like the two hotties tangled up in the sheets. We don't get this yeah. with Don and Norrin, and I kind of love that about it.
1: Yeah, it's a little chaste, but um, but very very sweet. And like it, when you get an "I love you" in this moment it's all the more powerful.
0: hmm yes, yes. But I think the chasteness kind of connects to my schoolgirl crushy side.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Where like uh-huh.
0: that age where like all you really wanted to do was hold someone's hand and go on adventures. Yeah,
1: and I'm not saying like another creator wanting to go back in time, explore some of these untold Norn and Don stories, couldn't do a real down and dirty tale. I'd be okay with it. Do
0: you think he would have to silver down
1: Oh, no, we can't. Take, we can't. I mean, yes, I think so. I think he got a silvered. Well, I don't know because, I mean, it depends on what, what he wants to get out of it. I'm sure he, oh, this is, we're getting way off tangent now, <laughs> but I'm sure he could, with consent, just put like a baby in her.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's. Without true. like
1: using any. Uh, physical parts inserting it. But I think
0: that oh, she geez. would, I think she would be as, like, as offended as, like you,
1: you won't, You just you won't, took my tonsils you, out.
0: You won't even eat, you won't eat my dad's soup. You just oh, molecularize it. Like, you won't actually make love to me. You'll just pop a baby in me from across the room.
1: <laughs> okay. And it'll probably be, like, fully, you know, like ten years old already. Like walk right out as an adult. <laughs>
0: oh God! <laughs> like
1: uh, Athena and Zeus.
0: Yeah. Oh. Funny. Oh
1: man. Okay, we got to We got to move on. We got to move on, Lisa. Uh, next issue number ten, Bound for Eternity. This is the one where we meet Galactus, the Life Bringer. I've been looking forward to talking about this one, Lisa. They're back on the road, they're traveling the spaceways, and they're interrupted by Galactus calling out across the universe, To me, my Herald.
0: It's this issue in particular that has me thinking about the Enneagram and the ways that Don and Norrin complement each other mm. as as a couple, Mm. and it starts with the first three, before Galactus even says to me, my Herald, like there's this moment where Dawn and Norrin are in this beautiful, swirly, already colored cosmos, and we've had a few moments like this in this series where uh, Dawn and Norrin are completely content And when Noren is content, the first place he always goes to is gratitude Mm. and gratitude for Don. And he goes, like, thank you for being in my life. Like, since we've been together, I've got – I've gotten to – see the new frontiers again. I had got stuck in this rut, just going and seeing the same places Mm -hmm. over and over again. I'm always going back to Earth, or the Shi'ar Empire, or whatever. And now that you're in my life, I'm excited about the newness. Yeah. And to me, that's him thanking her for getting him back in touch with his seven-ness. Like he had forgotten his core motivation, to explore. He
1: forgot about his astronomer self on Zen Law.
0: That's right. And it's just like Stephanie Baron Hall said, twos and sevens remind each other Mm. about life's potential, both the potential to have adventures and the potential to really make a difference. I
1: think the surfer we met pre-dawn was a guy who had fallen into the rut of the spaceways of always moving, always going forward, always looking, but Don actually reawakens his curiosity.
0: Yeah, and his appreciation.
1: The other thing I want to point to in this first panel of this issue, you're talking about the already cosmos, like Mike Allred and Laura Allred coming together and really delivering a space that is beautiful. One of the complaints that are often thrown to like 90s era Silver Surfer comics, you know, I, like I don't want to uh rag on Ron Lim, who I adore. And I think when I think Silver Surfer, I think of Ron Lim's Silver Surfer in a lot of ways. But his backgrounds, very blank, you know, mm-hmm. cosmic, there's stars, there's blackness, not a lot going on. What's amazing about this entire run of Silver Surfer comics is that the space, the cosmos, the cosmic elements are gorgeous.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: And, you know- Praise Michael and Laura Allred for their space ways.
0: There is another thing in the these three panels that make me think about Michael and Laura specifically, and it's that last panel and the way that Norrin is holding Don's face. Oh, oh,
1: the third panel on the first page. Yeah, of issue 10. so he's
0: made like a live long and prosper type hand, but he has. Like, but he's holding her face with the "Live Long and Prosper," yeah. which to me is like such a weird way, weirdly specific way to hold someone's face, where it makes me go like, "This is like Michael must do this to Laura if this is the way he's drawing her hand." It's so listeners, his hand,
1: listeners, listeners. I'm gonna I'm gonna get real right now. Yeah. Uh, Lisa and I were talking about this a couple days ago, this one panel, and we've tried out this position. <laughs> yeah, we did.
0: We tried to hold hold each other's faces like that, and it's weird.
1: Uh, it's weird for you. I like it. Oh, because- I, I think it. I think it actually fits. One, I love the ling- live long and prosper motion, but I, I, think, I think it holds your chin quite well.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I guess because I'm so much smaller than you, you it, got a big head. Well, it's a I I like split my hand in half. Well,
1: it doesn't work for me, but it works. <laughs> it, but my hand on your chin, I think it works.
0: Oh, that's well, all I'm saying. I just find it very sweet. Like it's so specific, it must be real.
1: Getting back to Galactus's cosmic call, uh, a call that the surfer has no will to deny. He answers it, and he's a little upset at first, but when they come upon Galactus and he is now gold. He is now the life bringer. Uh, Galactus does a quick rundown of what went down in the ultimate storyline. They learn that when Galactus first arrived in our universe, in the incubus cell, it broke apart the alpha and the omega and the two pieces which were containing all this energy. And when it exploded, that was the big bang. It created our universe and the two pieces, the Alphex and the Omegron, flew across the universe, but now they are coming back together. And if they come back together, our reality, our universe will be destroyed.
0: So what Galactus the life bringer, is asking them to do is to take these two halves and return them, out, well, to take one of the halves and return it to the edge of the universe so that um, the universe gets another half lifespan. Yeah. But yeah. Don has the idea of like, well, what if we split up, and you take half of the object to one side, and I'll take half of the object to the other side, writing to me. And um, Silver Surfer goes like, you realize that this is an enormous risk. You, you we're both, we've never done anything like this before. And Don goes, like, but we have to do it.
1: There's not a choice here.
0: Exactly. So we go back to the Enneagram book. This the seven is like, um, this could get us trapped away from each other. And the two is like, but this is what has to happen right now. This is how we help. So like this is like like a two's dream to have to have this opportunity to serve. Everyone she's ever met and everyone she's never met.
1: It's another infinite all in.
0: That's right. And uh, so I love before they part, uh, Noran looks at her and goes like, Don Greenwood, will you ever cease to amaze me? And uh, it's very sweet. You get the
1: idea that he understands the risk better than she does though. Because when they do reach opposite ends of the universe, uh, she is... You're rightfully devastated because they're not going to necessarily get back together because Galactus can't fold that space like he did the first time. He can't create that tunnel again.
0: Yeah. And she goes like, I can, I have Toomey. I could still have adventures, but they're not going to be the same.
1: And, but Toomey though, doesn't really have it in him being this far separated from the surfer.
0: Yeah, so Toomey can't speak anymore. The, apparently, the only way Toomey can speak is if these two are together. Or at least that's the impression that Toomey wants to give. <laughs> and once the lovers have been parted never to return to each other again, Galactus the Lifebringer is like, forgive me, Harold, though I believe in your heart you knew the sacrifice the two of you were making, which makes me go like, that's an enormous presumption, Galactus. Um, but also
1: still on brand with the big G. Like, he's the Lifebringer, but- He's still, he's still a bit of a cosmic jerk.
0: But he does, he does have a so, something of a, a conscience rattling around in there. When Silver Surfer realizes that they're now so far apart, his cosmic senses cannot even fathom where Don could possibly be. He gets angry, and I think that there, like, if this had happened earlier in the storyline. There is a version of Norrin Rad who would go like, this is what I deserve. I deserve to be alone. This was the price the universe asked of me. I think be- he would have
1: adapted pretty quickly.
0: I, I think he would have gone like, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. I took all of these lives. I ruined all of these loves. It makes sense that I lose my love too. But he is so past that place in his life. He is, healed that guilt to such a degree where he can go like eternity you You owe owe me me. yeah i just saved every life that you contain i just doubled your lifespan i have never asked anything of you before so please give me this Uh, what i
1: love though is that eternity he's like
0: yeah he says Just this one snoring, Rad. And then he does literally the easiest gesture anyone can do.
1: But it, I mean, let's get real. If we're talking about uh, the most iconic moments from this run of comics, from the Slot and Allred era, this has to be a top five, top three moment. The, the the image of Eternity bringing his two fingers together. And inside the tips of his fingers, we see a rushing surfer and a racing Don Greenwood. And then they come and they, they collapse into each other. And then you turn the page and you have a oh, gargantuan splash page, similar to the one where we got their first kiss, where they're haloed by some cosmic light. But this one... This one is so satisfying. This kiss, this is like the kiss of the book.
0: What I love from that moment is that when they're rushing together and Eternity is bringing his two fingertips together, they don't know what is happening. They just feel them rushing towards each other. And I think it's a reminder that we do not when the universe is pushing us in a direction, Mm, we don't feel it. We don't see, oh, this is a gesture of eternity. eternity." We just feel like my life is in motion. And- um, Oh yeah, I
1: love that.
0: It reminds me of an allegory that, it's like a favorite, it's one of a priest's like favorite bits (laughs) that um, where uh, there's somebody who's trapped on a roof in a flood and they pray like, please, Lord, save me sure. from this flood. And then somebody stops by with a with a boat and is like, hey, get in this boat. And they're like, no, it's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. God's got me. <laughs> Where it's just like, when your prayers are being answered, you don't feel the prayer being answered. You just feel like, uh, you know, I I pr- I pray to be saved. Uh, oh, never mind. I see a boat. Yeah, I've got this. You were
1: waiting for a magical ladder, but God sent a boat. Eternity sent you a boat.
0: Yeah, and it it just feels like life in motion. I think there is an important sentence that is uttered by Eternity that I think we need to keep in the back of our minds is uh, just this one snoring rad. (laughs) And And that foreshadows that there's going to be a time when they are apart where they cannot be brought back together.
1: Yeah, eternity doesn't even have three wishes. You get the one. Yeah. Uh, So that ends issue 10. Issue 11, this is the Warrior Zero climax. Uh, the, The comic is called Zero Sum Game. And it is the issue where on the first go around, you start to realize as a reader that a real ending is on the horizon. Um, the plot of this is that Eve back on earth has gone into labor and light years away, Don can sense that the baby's here. She's like, well, how long have we been away from earth? I don't want to miss the baby being born. We got to get back. But getting back is proving to be quite the challenge, especially when Warrior Zero appears and he wants his revenge finally for Don and Noren transforming him into Warrior Zero. He's no longer warrior number one, Mm -hmm. right? And they battle and they scrap for most of this issue. And I would say on first read, it's a fun read, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, But on second read, we know how this issue ends and it's that the Surfer and Don do get back to Earth the baby has been born. Don gets to meet her niece, Regina. Now, yeah, Regina. Um, but Reg, her father, has died. Yeah. And the the page that that is revealed is a tiny square box on a massive page of black. You know, where's Dad? And I mean, it's brutal.
0: I think up until this point, Dawn Greenwood has taken it for granted that her home will always be the same, that she can make the choice to have adventures and to live life outside of Anchor Bay and outside of Earth. And I think at this moment, it just proves like once you've made a choice, life continues to go on for that choice with or without you. Mm. So now she's not only missed the birth of Eve's child, she's also missed the death of her father.
1: Yeah. And so the way that Surfer and Don deal with this in the next issue, 12, they return to Euphoria, which is the title of the comic. And um, it's, it's another really hard read, I, I, even harder on the second go around, uh, especially since Mike Alred depicts Reg Greenwood with what I believe is the face of Dan Slot. Like they yeah. Dan Slot is the dad of Don and seeing the Euphoria take on Dan Slot's shape as Reg to, to offer comfort. Like I'm really questioning... The, the the action of bringing dawn to this planet is this healthy for her? Does she get something from it? Is it working on her the way that it works on some of the New Havians? I, I mean, it's 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 just it's just really hard to read. And clearly, Norrin is struggling with this choice too. Especially uh, the longer they stay on Euphoria, uh, he, you know, he needs he needs to get her off.
0: He's taking a tremendous risk for his core motivation because Doctor uh, Euphoria offers to give him some comfort too. Like, why don't you just silver down and hang out? Yeah, he won't have it. And he says, like, Euphoria is a honey trap. And he's he says a direct quote, I value my freedom and mobility above all else. And That's so the core motivation of a seven. If he
1: feels that way about himself, why doesn't he feel that way about Bringing Don here in the first place
0: because it was Don's choice. It's mm. what she chose to it's do. what she wanted. And he says explicitly, "I don't agree with this," mm. but this is her going like, "I need this." I've like, I'm willing to take this risk for myself, and so he takes a risk as well. It's mm. the infinite all in.
1: Oh man, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, it's rough though, Lisa, it's rough.
0: The way this issue is structured, it's uh, flashing back and forth between the what would be considered the current timeline on Euphoria mm-hmm. and what transpired from Dawn being told that her father is dead and her telling Silver Surfer once again that she wants to, to leave. leave. Yeah. And uh, one of the first flashbacks to Earth is uh, Noran is with Costas and they're at the family picture wall and Dawn is sitting looking out at the ocean and Costas is like, Go to You her. need to, you need to say something to her. And he was like, I don't know if it's my place and this is another reminder like, hey, you're part of this family now and part of being with this family is dealing with the Greenwood girl's emotions. Right. And so he goes out to Dawn, and she asks him to find her father's ashes in the ocean. Uh, because yeah, Dawn yeah. didn't even get to be there right. for them being distributing spread, the yeah. ashes. because. Eve is like we had no idea when you were coming back. Eve's you bad. Could, you could never come back. You literally just disappeared. You could have been kidnapped by an alien. We like have no we had no idea where uh, and you she's were. she's not wrong. She's not she's wrong. She's not wrong. Though I do think that it is something that she did out of anger. Yes. Um,
1: I I agree. But I but I, I would say understandable anger. Yes. I don't know if it's justifiable anger, but it's understandable. It yeah. might be justifiable.
0: But what Norrin tells Don is like, I can't find your father. In the ocean, I be and she's like, you could find my mother with one piece of her hair. And he goes like, the fact of the matter is your father doesn't exist anymore. Like, those ashes are not your dad. Your dad is gone. And he goes on to say that her father only exists in the past and in her memories. And so her going back to euphoria is her revisiting her father's memories. And then she later does ask to go see her father where he exists in the past. And that is their last infinite all in. I like the idea. I find it comforting the idea that the people that we've lost continue to exist. And where they exist is in the past. Like that idea of your past is always there. It your, happened. Your past is, always exists. It's a place. It's just inaccessible to you. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately for Dawn, she feels like the, she's time traveled already a couple of times and she goes like, well, the past is an accessible place and I want to go there.
1: Before they leave though, they do have to get Dawn weaned off of this version of Reg, her memory Reg.
0: That's right. And it's been this collaboration between Dr. Fuzzmeyer, Euphoria, and Norin, And they're just trying to give her more and more space. But she's still having these unresolved emotions. And it comes down to Mama Hub and her wisdom to make Dawn comfortable enough to finally leave euphoria. And I love this conversation between the two because Dawn Greenwood is able to articulate her pain as this question of, why doesn't the universe, as Silver Surfer explains it, make sense? How can a universe be both infinite mm. and expanding? And Mama Hub goes like, well, the universe is like the love of of a parent. When your father saw you for the first time, he had infinite love for you. But as you aged and you became more and more of a person, his love continued to expand. And Don grows like, "Well, that's like my love for my father." And Mama Hub corrects and goes like, "No, a child's love for their parent is ageless and never ending which is different because when you met your father as an infant you you loved him outside of time your love for him was so complete but that love you'll carry for the the rest of your life but it will cease cease to grow and mama hub ends the conversation with like if you're very very lucky you will get to experience a love that is both infinite and expanding as well as ageless and never ending. And the first time I read this, I thought that this was Mama Hub going like- You need well, a kid. Yeah, that's what I thought. But uh, but we do see it wrapped up later of she does experience a love that is both space, infinite and infinite and ever-expanding, and time, ageless and never-ending. And it reminds me of something that we actually say to each other all of the time. And we never said it as an expression of, like, we were never thinking about Norrin and Dodd when we would say it to each other. But one thing that I love to say to you is, Mm. I love you more than anything, and I love you more than ever. Mm. And I think that is my way of saying that my love for you is space, like my love for you is, sorry, I'm getting choked up. <laughs> my love for you is more precious than any object. My love for you is I love you more than anything. And my uh, love for you is more precious than the present moment. Yeah. I, I love yeah. you more than ever.
1: It's also like the song lyric of, that we quote a lot, mm-hmm. which is I love you more today, but not as much as tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The issue ends with Don acknowledging the risk and possible sacrifice that Norrin took by remaining on this planet. Uh, and she's very grateful and she's thankful f- to him. And they decide to leave. But when they leave, she does ask him to silver down, to fly on the board uh, as sh-
0: without his protective sheath,
1: and he's like, "Oh, I can't do that. No, that—that's uh, how I survive in space." And she's like, "Well, I've been doing just fine. The board, the power cosmic, they can make it happen." And the final panel is the two of them, uh, silvered down, embraced, onto me, flying through the spaceways.
0: Yeah, and Silver Surfer says, "Amazing." this is how you feel all of the time, every time we're flying through space. So I think that that's a moment of empathy for him, to be on the board and feel what Don Greenwood feels. But I think it's also like a statement about Brene Brown, Mm. hashtag vulnerability, of like, that's what being in love is, like going through life with this huge open nerve Mm. of this person standing next to me is both outside of me and infinitely precious to me.
1: So issue 13, Timeless. Um, I wanna talk real quick, Lisa, about the cover of this comic. I love it. And the first time I saw this cover, uh, and, and how it acts, because like you see it months before the issue ever comes out, you see it months before you've read the previous issue, and it it's an image of a very old Norrin and a very old Don, uh, Silver down, embraced looking out over a a planetary landscape. And in the distance, we see the Silver Surfer's uh, portrait uh, against a red moon. And um, what this cover did when I first saw it was signify the idea of living the rest of Don's life together.
0: Happily ever after.
1: Yeah, and you go, this is going to take you to a place where Dawn is no longer going to exist. It's telegraphing the narrative. And the first time I saw that cover, I was like, oh man, is this how it's gonna end? It's just gonna end with them dying of old age together and that's beautiful, but like, it's just such an end. Like, it's just such an end. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it's obvious. Um, But this week I read the Entertainment Weekly interview that Michael Allred and Dan Slott did after issue 14 came out. And they were talking about the fact that they had to finish the story of Dawn Greenwood. They had to take it to the end of her life. Because if they didn't, that only left a couple of options for other writers to do with her. Because Slot and Aldred know that Dawn can't be the companion of Silver Surfer forever because the status quo in comics always has to revert. So it was on them to revert that status quo in a satisfying way. If they had left her alive, some other writer would fridge her Mm -hmm. and use her as motivation for the surfer to go on his next adventure, or they would shelve her. And that would have been such a tragedy and such a travesty and would have infuriated me. So... As upset as I am when I read something like Silver Surfer Black which does not acknowledge Don in any way, I'm so thankful that Slot and Allred took this path and completed the timeline of Don Greenwood's life. Now, I still want our BPRD idea to happen. Yeah. Like there there could be more Don stories and I would love Somebody like Donnie Cates, if not Donnie Cates, to acknowledge Don's impact on the Surfer's life in some upcoming Silver Surfer story. But okay, let's turn the page on this comic that's going to destroy us talking about it. Um, first page, we see the Never Queen. They are uh, she is in the constellation of Syath, a sad crab in a top mm-hmm. hat, and she spots the mysterious watcher and says, I see you Norville. And now we start to connect the dots that this guy is Norville Rappaport, who was referenced all the way back in issue one of the Allred and Slot run uh, as being a guest of the Greenwood Inn. Um, but we don't necessarily know who Norville Rappaport is on page one, but he's there to observe a final wish. Don's final wish.
0: Yes, and Don asks Norrin to take her to the past so that she can say goodbye to her dad. And he's like, you know, this is super risky. Remember, like, last time we did it, we were st- stuck in a time loop for God knows how long. Issue 11. But Toomey seems up for it, and he's like, okay, well, I could never refuse you, so we're going to go back— to our the site of our meat cube, yeah. we're going to go back to the Impericon. We're going to use the re, the residual energy of the motivator cube to go to the past. But so th- this is their last infinite all in, and this is the one that they lose. Yeah, of
1: course, it doesn't go well for them, uh, and this is also the moment where Don sees past Don and Surfer mm-hmm. and points out the rip in space and time and helps them navigate towards that hole where they can then go save uh, eternity with Glorian and uh, the Dr. Doom eternity, right? And of
0: course, in that exchange, Dawn tells other Don that it's going to be okay, but then tells Norrin, I hate lying, especially to myself in right. the past. And he tells her, Well, it had to be done. You had to do it. So they go so far in the past. They overshoot their mark that they go all the way to before the Big Bang, and they're on Ta, which is- In another universe. Yeah, and it's Galactus's original planet when he was just the man Galen. Yeah,
1: yeah. And when they land on Ta, uh, Surfer takes on a new form because he doesn't want- Galen to recognize him and you know disrupt the timeline. And that form he takes on looks like Norval Rappaport. So now we're putting the dots together. We know that Norval Rappaport is the Silver Surfer from the future.
0: It's here where Norrin realizes that he has the option to kill Galactus before he is born, yeah. which is like the age old question. Like if you had a time machine, would you go back in time to kill Hitler? Um, but in this time it's like Galactus who is like giant planet eating Hitler and he, he has – he's charging up his little fingies with his power cosmic to give him the f- fatal blast and Dawn stops him and says like you can't kill Galen because by killing Galen, yes, you're killing Galactus the destroyer, but you're also killing Galactus, the life bringer. And without that Galactus, we couldn't part the Alpha and the Omegron, and we would have the la- the life of eternity. So like we would be killing everyone a billion times over by killing this one man
1: And that's the only butterfly effect that they know of, right? Mm-hmm. They're like who knows what other things they would destroy by doing that action.
0: But I think it's a beautiful reminder of the enneagram like on the on the opposite side of every sin is a strength and everything contains both darkness and light. Mm. So you can't you can't dispel life's darkness without extinguishing some of life's Light.
1: So they decide to s- s- go off into their own little corner and have a life together.
0: Yes, because they cannot, since the only way to get into back into our universe, so to speak, is to take the to take Galactus's incubus cell, but all they know about the incubus cell is that when you come out of it, chances are you're You're a (laughs) destroyer. Yeah,
1: yeah, you don't wanna be that, yeah. So they have to stay where they are and wait till the end of this universe, which is decades, if not hundreds of years from now. And we get several panels and pages of the life that Don and Norrin have in this universe together, and it is very blissful. It looks like there are many, many adventures that they have here. There are many, many untold stories that could be told BPRD style <laughs> by another writer if they chose. And uh, you know, it's it's very sweet. It's lovely. It's also sad as you're reading it because again, you can feel the clock on Don's life. Ending.
0: Finally, on Sagittarius,
1: 12th. Oh, they've created their own calendar.
0: And Don got to name the months. How yeah. sweet is that? Uh, their traveling days are over, and Don is sad that they can no longer go exploring. And he, pro- he goes like, hey, before I met you, I had a ton of adventures, so how about I just stay next to you and tell you my stories. Oh my God, I'm crying again. <laughs> um, but she tells him, "You are my time and space," and he tells her, "You are my universe." And they enter the place that will be her final resting which place, which is like
1: a Greenwood Inn. Like they've they've created like a little environment that was very much like the place she came from.
0: That's right. And um, they both look old, but finally, Don Greenwood is like you know, this is ridiculous, stop pretending that you're growing old with me, and drop the act, and he looks, and he returns to looking like Norrin Rad, as we have always seen him silvered down, a very handsome, bald man, and uh, he asks her, like, you, when I met you, like, your family, and family life was everything to you, And we spent the last decades of your life separated from everything that you thought was important. And we
1: chose not to have children Mm -hmm. because we knew this universe was ending. That's right. Which, again, like, you know, for Lisa and I, we don't have kids. We're not planning on having kids. And so it is kind of nice to see a couple that are... Actively childless.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, And like our situation is very much the same. Look around. Our universe is ending. Everything (laughs) is hitting the fan. And so (laughs) Brad and I have chosen not to people. Um, But he asks her very directly, like, do you have any regrets related to the options that we've made And she pauses and she closes her eyes. Brad, flip the page. And
1: you get the two-page spread, which is the image that we are using for this episode. And we see all the people, all the characters, all the stories that Dawn has experienced in her time with Norrin. This is their life together. And it really does hit like a ton of bricks. You know, the life flashing before her eyes before she leaves us, before she leaves Norrin,
0: and of course she replies, "I wouldn't change a thing." And then um, they recall their first meeting, and the first sentence that Don ever said to Norrin, which is, "I'm Don Greenwood, and I'm here to save you." And he replies, "And you did in every possible way." And then we see her in bed with her reflection into me, and then the next panel, her reflection is gone.
1: Yeah, it's an extremely, extremely effective way to show the passing of Don Greenwood.
0: And, like, I, like, full disclosure, like, we had to do several takes of retelling this one page because, as you can hear, I am weeping. And there's, there is no other piece of art I you know not a movie not a poem not a painting that has me thinking so much about mine and Brad's mortality and there is this future odds are unless we die in some kind of like accident or something where one of us is going to have to continue without the other one and uh and it And it devastates me. It's not a happy ending for me. Like, there's not really, for true, true, true love, like, there's not really a happy, happy ending. And that's the meaning of the infinite all-in, is when you love someone and you are vulnerable to someone and, and you make someone your universe... You are going to feel a tremendous pain when you're separated.
1: Yes, Lisa. But I mean, I think, you know, Norin and Don would say it's worth it. Yeah. That pain is worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue ends with uh, Norin burying Don outside their home. Uh, he talks to Toomey, but Toomey doesn't respond. The reflection is just his normal reflection. And he says, you know, I guess Dawn had to be here for the magic to work. And that's when he sees Galen take off in the incubus cell. And that means that this universe is ending and the next one is beginning. And Surfer takes off in chase.
0: With her matter transformed into this form of energy. And he's bringing that energy from Ta into our universe. Right, and
1: it's worth noting that when they go to this reality initially, Norrin's power cosmic uh, took on a different shape. It took on the shape of a cube and not the sphere, not the circle. Because
0: it's a different universe, so therefore different laws of physics.
1: And it's a weird feeling going into the 14th issue, the final issue, and Dawn having already expired. Because you feel like, oh, well that was the end what more could there possibly be to say? And I remember purchasing this issue and we both, we bought two copies uh, right off the stand and we read it together simultaneously. And I remember thinking like, could this deliver a satisfying climax that wasn't just issue 13? Like issue 13, like that could have just been the ending.
0: Yeah, I do think ultimately like the last page of this issue really does make it worth it, and how Don's he how Slot and Allred weave Don's legacy mm-hmm. into the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I love that. There are things in this issue that I am not what that I am less excited well, about.
1: Well, We're gonna get to them, we're gonna get to them, but um, you know, it, it's the comic starts off and it's at the threshold. Surfer is entering our universe, the Marvel 616 universe. And when he gets there, he takes that energy, that that part of dawn, and he ignites it into the cosmos. And when it erupts, it's the Kirby crackle that we know when the Surfer is around, right? Which
0: is red with black dots. Right,
1: right, right. Oh, oh, very (laughs) good, guys. That's very, very good. Uh, Now- When you turn the page, suddenly we're in a different time and place, and we see Surfer telling a crowd of black silhouettes the story of what went down when he first came to our reality through the Big Bang. And he took on the form of Norval Rappaport, and he was like the Watchers. He observed and did not interact with the universe, and he saw the creation of of Galactus, the transformation from Galen to the World Devourer.
0: And this is, I think, the third core motivation that he takes on. So now that Dawn is gone, that's like a nodal event. He's no longer a seven, and he becomes a five, which is the Observer. And the core motivation of the five is to gather information That is comforting to you, that you feel like by by watching and knowing all that there is to know, somehow that that soothes your your inner angst. But he becomes so he goes back in time and he goes. Oh, he so he is stuck now in his this form, Norval Rappaport form until the surfer. Goes back in time with Dawn. So he's just killing time until he can rejoin the universe. Well, what I Silver love surfer. about
1: it is he's obsessing over observing Galactus and his time with Galactus and watching all his sins unfold once again. But when Galactus and the, the surfer of the past reach Earth, which is 12 years ago, mm-hmm. he then becomes obsessed with observing and watching Dawn. Age. That's right. And, and so we go back to the very, 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 very first few pages of the slot and allred run where Eve and Dawn, uh as kids, are wishing upon that star that turned out to be Silver Surfer coming to Earth to confront the Fantastic Four and also have that nodal event, that change of heart, uh, and to turn on Galactus.
0: But we also find out that Norval Rappaport, the guest of the Greenwood Inn was Silver Surfer, spending one day of every summer with Dawn. And
1: it's important to note that he knew, because of I think his experiences on Euphoria, that he couldn't just like hang out and spend every day with Dawn, watching her grow. Like that would be a form of torture. And so he just grants himself a little bit of pleasure every summer.
0: Yeah, yeah, And he
1: becomes like the guest of the Greenwood Inn. He actually is this huge figure in Don's life as Norval Rappaport that we didn't quite understand until this moment. Yeah, But there's also this weird ulterior motive where he is taking photos of Don and Reg and Eve and he's using this very strange looking camera. Um, and we learn soon enough that he is... Taking these holographs mm-hmm. to Incandessa, mm-hmm. where he can create the 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 family: yeah. Reg, Eve, Costas, uh, Regina, and Dawn.
0: Yeah, he does go back to Greenwood in just as Eve and Costas and Regina are leaving. Oh
1: man! Yeah, and oh. he has
0: to break it to Eve. Oh my God! That. Her twin sister is dead. And
1: now Eve is totally alone. Her, like, her, oh well, I mean, there's Costas and there's Regina, but the family she had before Costas and Regina is done.
0: And she's furious, and Noren says, well, there is a way where part of you can be with Don always. And he takes a picture of their family with the incandescent tubes, and then... We return to Incandessa, and we see that the people that he is talking to at the beginning of this issue are Hollow John and the people of Incandessa.
1: Yeah, and so this is where, like, I don't know. I feel, I feel so many things. This is what you were alluding to as well. I imagine is, is that it feels a little cheap.
0: Mm. Well, to me, like, so he goes to Incandessa. He puts the hollow tubes in the machine, and not only has he he made a hologram of Reg, who has no idea what's going on, his last memory is getting his picture taken, and then Eve and Costas and Regina, and then he had also taken a picture of himself, a hologram picture of himself, and he gives those all to Hollow Dawn so that Hollow Dawn can be reunited with her hollow family. Yeah. And,
1: and I totally understand why he would do this. And it does work. And it, I mean, he's basically doing everything that he was afraid euphoria would trap him as, right? Like he creates his own euphoria on Incandessa.
0: But what I'm trying to figure out is what is this supposed to mean for us, the reader? Because he he goes on to say like, uh, you know, well, they go like, so you're gonna get back on your board and you're going to travel without any version of Dawn. Aren't you gonna be lonely? And he goes on to say like, yes and no, because her memories still live inside me. She's still mm-hmm. with me in that way. She's with me in my past and she's with me in my memory. And Incandessa is just this place where memories can t- continue to live. But, but they to- are sentient. Yeah, but to me, like... Well, uh, Incandessa is a place that creates a caste system based on whether you're made of flesh or not, right. and it's built on the backs of these, this, these flesh bag slaves. Yeah. So I like to me, I go like, it's, well, I think Incandessa is an evil place. It's
1: super complicated. I do think that he needed to do this once the option is there. He needed to do this or. He could not go on like this. Is his way of um, pulling himself out of total despair, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and you know it, it, it's a it's an out for the reader to go like okay somewhere. Don st- a version of Don exists now, based on the rules that Incandessa has developed. That's not my dawn.
0: It seems like a tremendously selfish thing for Norrin to do.
1: But I but again I understand it. Yeah, I yeah. really do understand it. And if this was presented to me, I could see a version of myself making these same choices. Mm. And what I like about it is that it it's actually not as tidy an ending as I thought we were going to get. There there's a lot of hurt in this decision. And, you know, we're going to get to the final pages, which are tremendously beautiful yeah. and meaningful. But I, I think they are only more so because of the agony that's wrapped up in the choice to make a hollow family on incandessa,
0: Yeah. So as Noren is pulling away on Toomey, Toomey actually winks. At Hollow Dawn to show like, so to me, I'm like, well, to me is, being a jerk because he's just, it feels like he's just been giving ah, Silver Surfer the silent treatment. I think
1: Toomey is hurt. Yeah. So when yeah, Toomey doesn't respond to Norin at the gravesite, it's because he is devastated just like Norrin is.
0: Yeah, but I think the we, the wink is a little cheeky, well, I Toomey. Mean,
1: he, I mean, Toomey's a cheeky dude.
0: <laughs> so uh, as they leave, hollow Norin goes like, hey, he left out this detail and the detail is this. When Norrin shot that first bolt of energy at the Big Bang, releasing Dawn's matter or the what's left of Dawn's being, that became the universe's Dawn, like the sun breaching the horizon across the entire universe. So every time there is a Dawn on any planet, Dawn the person is there in part and. By shooting that first bolt of energy, it's Norrin who chose how the power cosmic would manifest itself, and it was his decision to make to give the power the power cosmic signature signature a red background with black dots.
1: And so, like the last gift that the Allred and Slot run gives to the Marvel universe and to the reader. Is to explain the origin of Kirby Crackle mm-hmm. uh, as the black and red dots uh, of the of the universe of Dawn of of that's it's it's so unbelievably powerful and so Dawn is anywhere and everywhere within Marvel Comics.
0: That's right, and she is also part of Norrin's darkness when he's under the servitude of Galactus because the power cosmic still appears the same red with black dots, Mm. but she is also part of his salvation because it's the same energy that he, he uses to do all of the good he does in the universe to redeem himself. So it goes back to the idea of the, the darkness and the light being dependent on each other.
1: So if you are a fan of this run, if, if, this is your Silver Surfer. You can take this knowledge into every Silver Surfer comic book, every Silver Surfer storyline, and you can see Don wherever he is. And so, Lisa, you can still like Silver Surfer Black.
0: Never, Brad, just never.
1: Fair enough, Lisa, that's fair enough.
0: So we've done it. We've talked about my personal, very favorite run of comics of all time. And I feel like this is also the end of our journey with the idea of the Enneagram, at least for now. And so this is the time, Brad, when I ask you, like, what have you learned on this journey with Norn and Don? And what have you learned on this journey with yourself as a Seven enthusiast?
1: I mean, it's it's the same thing. because. Uh, honestly, I really enjoyed um, using the Enneagram in Love to talk about Don and Norn, and I think that the Enneagram in Love gives us a lot of terminology and a lot of thought that I could continue to apply to other couples and will probably come into conversation in a way that the five love languages still comes into conversation. Um and, and you know I said that at the beginning in the first episode uh in this series and I I still stick to that. And why I like that is because the Enneagram thinking of couples in terms of types, in terms of collaboration, makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like you know, what do you give to this relationship that helps your partner? What do they give to you that helps you? Um, what do you give that might be unhealthy? You know, like how, like how do you um, find the balance? Um, I, I I think that the Enneagram and love. Gives gives me the language to do that. I am an enthusiast, you're an individualist. I think we are collaborating and cohabitating together c- pretty well. I think that Stephanie Baron Hall has certainly seen us in a way that I was surprised. Um now going to Norrin and Don, I I think, like my big takeaway is that yes, Lisa, our time will come to an end, but we will always have the past. We will always have our adventures and what we have done together. And while there is certainly the ultimate heartache in our future, I don't fear it uh, because I have a story like Norrin and Don to lean on.
0: But of course I, as a four, look at our infinite parting with, through the eye of melancholy. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'm excited about it because I'm an enthusiast. Uh, You know, uh, what what I do also uh, really love about this run is it operates kind of like the television show Lost when it first aired that first season and you're like, Check out this uh, island drama. It's 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 an adventure series. Oh uh, wait, there's a there was a there's a monster in the woods, maybe. Oh, hold on, there's a hatch in the ground? Hold on, I'm watching the science fiction show and Silver Surfer. You start off going like, Hey, I'm going to be reading a Silver Surfer comic. It's science fiction, uh, there's a companion, it's a Doctor Who thing, maybe, and it, it ultimately tricks you in saying you, you've you actually just experienced one of the great love stories in comic books. And I, I love the surprise that this, this book offers and the twists and turns and how it truly is a traditional romance. And we need more of those in comics, which is hilarious to say, considering that's all we do on this podcast <laughs> is cover comic book couples. Um, but honestly, if you go back through our b- batch of episodes, there's nothing quite as solidly purposefully romantic like this run of comics
0: yeah the the in in our other couples their love is kind of incidental to the actual adventure side yeah. where what silver surfer is saying the 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 work is saying that uh love is the ultimate adventure and we're all we're, as we're all Giving the infinite all in of going, there is going to be heartbreak, there is going to be tragedy, there's going to be failure, there's going to be sin, but there's also going to be elation and redemption and... Bliss. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Dan Slot, Michael Allred, uh, Tom Brevoort, if you're listening, uh, which I just assume that all creators listen to our podcast. Why
0: wouldn't? We're uh, very compelling. And, you know,
1: like we're, we're pushing two hours. So thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, <laughs> but if you're listening, thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks.
1: But Lisa, don't think you've gotten away from saying what you've learned uh, from this month of episodes. Uh, Norrin, Don, what have they given you? Enneagram and Love, what has Stephanie Baron-Hall taught you this month?
0: You've already said a lot of what I was going to say <laughs> and, and that, was all, that was all good and wonderful and uh, I second everything you said. I think I'm going to leave with this thought from Silver Surfer is there's no such thing as an unimportant adventure. Mm. Like from the perspective of space, every story, every choice is equally worthwhile. Um. It is as giganormous as Jumbo Knox, <laughs> but it's also as small as a speck. And so we all need to go into it like Norrin and Dawn and go in it like silver down, just ready to fully experience every every single moment of it because even though it might feel like this world is ever expanding it's also finite the moment is finite and it's Mm -hmm. and it's passing all of the time you just have to savor the present yeah
1: yeah uh, well, listeners, uh, thank you so much for joining us on this adventure with Noran and Don this past month. Um, we've said it before, and uh, it, we truly mean it. It feels like we've hit a milestone covering this couple on this podcast, and I'm super excited to see where we go from here. But I mean, like Lisa, I feel like we just deserve a high five for doing these four four episodes because like it, the tasks felt so monumental at the start because of how much we love this storyline. But it is time to say goodbye uh, to Norrin and Dawn.
0: It's like the Never Queen said to Eternity, all good stories must come to an end. So, uh, but we're not over. This podcast is going to still keep going. Thank goodness. And we're going to take you anywhere and everywhere. Brad, who is our next couple?
1: Uh, our next couple is, drumroll please, Miyamato Usagi and the lovely Lady Tomo from Stan Sakai's Usagi Ojimbo comic book series. Yes, at the start of this pandemic, I started reading the series from the very beginning, and I'm proud to say that I've now read every inch of this comic, and I am in love. However, picking the right place to start for our next four episodes, was challenging. Uh, I think what we're going to do, and by think, I mean I know what we're going to do, we are selecting the iconic run of Usagi Yojimbo called Grass Cutter, which comes from the third volume of the series that Dark Horse Comics published. It takes up issues 13 through 22. Um, What's interesting about this volume is there's actually not a lot of time with Usagi and Lady Tomo together on the same page sharing the same panel but I do think it is a great gateway to Usagi Yojimbo comics and you get a great insight into their characters. I'm a little nervous introducing this series to Lisa because <laughs> I love it so much. But hey, she was incredibly vulnerable with uh, Norrin and Don, and uh, I think I could I could offer the same kind of vulnerability for the next batch of episodes. So fingers crossed. Hope she likes it.
0: For our self help book, I wanted to pick something that uh, for, that dealt with the idea of the Bushido code, mm. since Usagi Yojimbo is a samurai. He's a
1: ronin, actually, Lisa. You're going to learn all about that.
0: I'm very excited. But I'm not sure if I'm ready to read the Bushido Code directly. Mm. I wanted it to be at least partially digested for me. So I decided to go with Let the Samurai Be Your Guide, The Seven Bushido Pathways to Personal Success by Lori Tsugawa-Whaley.
1: Cool. Okay. That sounds cool. I'm excited about these episodes, Uh, but we got to get out of here, Lisa. Uh, I'm going to say it to me, my Lisa. It's time to surf the cosmic skyways. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you this week?
0: Thank you so much for asking. I am always accepting words of affirmation on Instagram and Twitter. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, send them over to Karen underscore X-Men fan. Brad, yes. where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh,
1: you can find me on all social medias, at Mouthdork. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and iTunes.
0: If you like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast, at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at cbccpodcast.
1: You can give us the gift of five stars on iTunes. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So, Lisa. Yes? Until next time, keep your love tank full.
0: And your psychic rapport open. Norton and Dawn. Don't mock
1: the way I say (laughs) Norton and Dawn.
0: Uh, Copy. We're using her book, (laughs) The Enneagram in Love A Roadmap for Drilling and Strengthening Relationships. Uh,
1: We're just going to keep going? No, no. Okay. (laughs)